I remember when I got the scholarship and I went to my mom and my mom was like, no, you're not going because I don't know who you're going with. I don't trust people in America. And my dad was like, let her go experience it. If she doesn't like it, she can always come back home. And funny enough, when I left, my dad missed me and he wanted me back. But my mom was like, you're the one that said let her go and now she's going. So, yeah, so I think my journey was just, you know, free flow, play, enjoy the game. And then, you know, life just happened and, you know, I take the different routes and the journeys. The official Manchester City podcast. Watch the full video version of this show via City Plus now. Hello and welcome to the official Manchester City podcast. I'm your host, George Kelsey, and we've got a, an absolute belter for you today. Bunny Shaw, star striker for the women's team. And I mean, if you've ever seen me play football, you know we needed to get some attacking credentials in. Paul, great to have you back in again yeah. for Bunny today. No, great. Great to be here. Um, you know, Bunny's, Bunny's on fire at the minute and has been since she came to the club. So um be interesting, you know, like we've done another podcast to find out a route to actually get here and, and what our aims are now to kick on. I think a lot of the time people say that strikers are a slightly different beast to other players, but do you think that's fair? Are we going to have the same thing with Bunny today, do you reckon? Obviously, I'm part of the strikers' union, so I think I think it's unfair. But, um, you know, but Bunny's been fantastic, you know, last season. Um, no, she's a little injured at the start of this season, but she's kicking on again, goal scoring. You know, from my own personal point of view, uh, working with my old strike partner with the goal, um, find out how that dynamic works. And obviously with Gareth as well, another ex-teammate of mine, you know, both very different characters in the changing room. Um, so it'll be interesting to ask Bunny how that dynamic between the both of them work with Gareth being the manager and obviously Sean being the coach now. Yeah, very interesting. It'll be nice as well to speak to her about Jamaica because she's obviously done so much on an international level as well as a club level, so hearing a bit more from her on that as well. It is, and look, she's a figurehead for, for not just Jamaican women's football, but I think for Jamaican football for, for what she's achieved, you know, and obviously the World Cup in 2019 um, and then the last World Cup recently to actually go through and qualify and you know Bunny's a major major part of that she's a star player um, so she's a, she's a hero for a lot of Jamaican especially on the women's side and, and she leads by example and it's great to see Brilliant well we've been complimenting her enough let's get her in uh, Bunny Shaw on the official Manchester City podcast There is Hemp on the turn hangs it up oh. Bunny Shaw Incredible header oh my word and Bunny Shaw has made a career of scoring goals like that. So, Bunny, welcome to the official Manchester City podcast. Great to have you on. Um, firstly, we always talk about players' early life getting into football and so on. So what was it like for you those initial few years in Jamaica getting into football? Yeah, I think um, for me, everyone's path is different. And my I had to take the difficult route um, growing up. Um, I've said this quite a few times. I wasn't really allowed to play when I was younger. Um, but some of my early memories when I was actually, when I would sneak out when my mom would leave, would be, you know, playing in front of my pathway, in front of my yard with my, my neighbours and close friends. So, yeah. Was it quite tough as a youngster if, if your parents were obviously saying, not, not deliberately stopping you from playing, but maybe discouraging it? Was it quite difficult to keep that motivation to, to keep going? Yeah, it was, it was difficult, especially that I was the only one that was doing sport in my family. Um, but looking back, I understood the reason why. Uh, my parents was like that because there was no real pathway for women's football in Jamaica. So she would have, you know, seen me instead of, you know, me being outside playing. I could be in my books, you know, <laughs> trying to, to, to get an education. So I think looking back, I, I understood I understood what it was. But um, in that moment, it was very difficult because all I wanted to do was play football. Yeah. And you obviously justified 
playing football given the quality that you have now when you had at the time how did it feel when your parents allowed you to to sort of play and, and everything like that yeah I think I wasn't allowed when I was home to play with my neighbors and friends but when I was when I would be in school I would play um and I think when I was 13 my mom got a call from the Jamaica under 50 national coach and they invited me to to go to camp and I remember she was saying oh you're actually good, you know? <laughs> and I was like, I honestly, at that point, I just was playing. I didn't take it very serious. I just wanted to play. And, you know, I look at it as getting an opportunity to travel to other um, islands in the Caribbean and see what it's like, the culture and stuff like that. So I think after that call is when she genuinely, you know, allowed me to, to start playing. So I was just free now to, to play whenever and yep. wherever. At that time, um, Bonnie, who was your role models? as in within football, you know, because obviously you're a massive role model for the young children in Jamaica now. You know what, like when I was younger, I didn't really have a role model because I wasn't allowed to play football. I didn't really watch football. Um, but whenever I would go to the shop, so there'll be a, there's a lot of shops where I'm from, so when my mom would send me to go to the shops, people would have like small box TVs on the street, so that's when I would actually like, but I have to get what she wants and go back home. So it would just be for like five minutes max that I would just, you know, actually be able to watch and stuff like that. But as I grew up, as I was growing up and I got older, 13, that's when I actually was free to do whatever I want in terms of, you know, play and do whatever for, you know, football reasons. But I, I would say Ronaldinho is someone that all the boys in my community enjoy I think everybody um, watching even, yeah. and talking about. So that's how I got involved with it and that's how you know I fell in love with him and the way he played. Incredible and then fast forward a couple of years how did you then get onto the US scholarship route because that was obviously a really significant growth for you in, yeah. in your career. So um, like I said I didn't really take football serious so my aim was because I my family couldn't afford for me to pay you know pay through college so my aim was to just get my college degree go get a regular job and help my family that was my my route so um my freshman and sophomore year, I was just playing, but I was taking the school more seriously than the football because my aim was to just get the degree. So my focus was just for football, but obviously I got a scholarship, so I had to play football at the same time. But it wasn't until towards the end of my junior year in college where, you know, my head coach at the time at University of Tennessee would, you know, telling me about offers. And I was like, I don't care. I just need to get this degree <laughs> yeah. and just go back home. Wow. Yeah. So my my junior year finished and then my senior year, we qualified for the World Cup. And at that point, I'm like, OK, I'm going to play against women now because I was in college at the time. And I was like, OK, now this is serious. Um, at, the, at the time, I was considered a senior team on my national team because on the national team, we only had one person playing professional. Everyone was in school and high school. So I was like, okay, everyone's looking for me here, but I'm inexperienced at the same time. And then I spoke to my coach because um, I qualified the October, so the beginning of my senior year. And then when Christmas came, January, I spoke to my head coach and he was just like, I think you need to take this more serious. And I was like, but my mom said I have to get my degree because that's how it is in Jamaica. You You have to get the degree before um and he sat me down and he spoke to me and then I went to my mom and my mom was like you gotta get the degree before you even think about going pro so I was like okay I wanted to get the degree anyways but now I have to take the football even more serious now yeah. at this point because my coach told me you know 
the root of how I could help my family and stuff like that. And I knew um, the politics and some of the stuff that was going on back home, it would be a bit difficult to get the degree and go back home right away to get a job and started helping my family. So started taking the football serious. And then I think around March, April is when Bordeaux um, offered me a uh, contract. So that's wow. why I ended up in France. I love that. It's just, a, oh, I, I decided I'll start taking it seriously. I'll, I'll just become a professional. Yeah, and then yeah a, that's and what then it a was. A couple of months later, you're yeah. off even, in, even, even though I got my scholarship to go to America, I didn't, I was just playing. Like, wow. it was, I was, professional was not in my mind. Going to America was not in my mind. In fact, I remember when I got the scholarship and I went to my mom and my mom was like, no, you're not going because I don't know who you're going with. I don't trust people in America. And my dad was like, let her go experience it. If she doesn't like it, she can always come back home. And funny enough, when I left, my dad missed me and he wanted yeah. me back. But my mom was like, you're the one that said let <laughs> her go and now she's going. So, yeah, so I think my journey was just, you know, free flow, play, enjoy the game. And then, you know, life just happened and, you know, I take the different routes on the That's journeys. incredible. Do you think because... You had that attitude of just it was your degree, and, but just enjoying your football at yeah. the same time. Actually, let that rise that you had very quickly happen just before you could know it because you were just enjoying it. You weren't, you weren't putting pressure on yourself. Yeah, you know what? I degree. I never really, even when the scholarships came and the contracts and the offers, I didn't really know the impact that it would have. I was just like, oh, okay. I was just that's just how I, I grew up, that. and that's just yeah. how I was. So I was like, oh. And my coach on the other hand, when I, my head at my college, he's like, this is big. And I'm like, I guess. Because I was just, that's just how, I'm a very chill person. And I'm just like, okay, it is what it is. And then, you know, as I, like you said, the more I was just enjoying my football, I think, you know, sometimes that's when good things normally it's happen. The, the best comes out of you, doesn't yeah. it? Absolutely. It's incredible. I still can't get over the fact that what were you um what were you studying at college? So so this is it. So my freshman and sophomore year was psychology. And then closer towards my junior year, because I was a very shy person. I wouldn't talk to anyone. I wouldn't socialize because of how I grew up. Um I was always by myself and stuff like that. And so when I hear about this professional, I'm like, oh, but people doing interviews and I would have to communicate with people. And I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna struggle. And so I went into my advisor and I was like, I think I wanna do communication studies. And she looked at me like, you, <laughs> of all people? And I'm like, I know, but if coach is saying I could go professional, I'm gonna have to be able to communicate. And she was like, and I said, okay, because one of my teammates um, at the time was do, was in the same um, right. major. So I was like, okay, I could just go. And if I don't like it, I could do something else. And then I went and I enjoyed it with her. And then I ended up getting a communication studies degree. Amazing. Well, your communication spot on now. That's the main <laughs> thing. So it obviously worked. Yeah. <laughs> um, moving on to Bordeaux, it's obviously a, a big adaptation. Because I mean, moving from Jamaica to yeah. the US is one thing, but then from US to to Europe and to France and new language and, and everything like that. How did you how did you cope with that initially? To be fair, I struggled a lot. Um, like, I knew I was going to America, but I knew the language. And then when I went to my college, there was a lot of Jamaicans because my college go back to Jamaica and bring all the track and field people. So I was associated with track and field and they would go to the Olympics and stuff like that. So I would, I would always be around 
track and field. But then when my coach at the time told me about board, I didn't even know where that was because I just was just focused on school. And so he told me it was in France and I'm like, French? I don't, I don't think that would be possible, you know. And then, you know, sometimes they, he, he always say, you have, sometimes you have to make uncomfortable comfortable. And I looked at myself and I was like, okay, I got this degree. I got what my mom want. Now I got to do something for myself. And if I'm going to take this football serious, I think going to Europe would be the best bet for me because I was always a physical player and stuff like that. But technically, I want to get better. And I think in Europe, that's the difference between Europe football and America. So I then again took myself up like I did in Jamaica and got to America, took myself up, went to France by myself, small apartment, language. I would have this scooter that I would scoot back and forth. The rain would wet me. So I would go rain and I would be in the rain. It was just a difficult um, experience. And I remember I had a Brazilian teammate at the time, Kathleen, and we both were struggling. So she wanted to transfer, but I think the club was not letting her transfer. So she was miserable and I was miserable, but we were close friends and we were like, oh, we were just miserable together. And we we're like, I just need something happen. I just need a change. I just need, we just need something to happen so we can go home. And then COVID came. Because we went home Christmas and then we came back into January and we we were miserable because that was my first year. And then COVID came and we went home. But everyone in, I know it sounds bad, but I think COVID was the best thing that happened to me because when I went back home, I got help. I was speaking to my family. I got to see everyone because remember, it's a long season without seeing anyone. So I got, I got home, spent more time with, because normally... Even in the summer, you don't spend as much time with your family like COVID. So I remember the president for France said, you have 24 hours to get to your final destination. Right. And I went home and I was just refreshed. And I was like, okay, one more year. I'm just going to push through this last year because I knew that I was not going to stay in Bordeaux. But my teammates were great. The coaching staff was great. But I just think the culture was not for me. And I just told myself, one more year, I'm going to push you. I'm just going to make the best of it. And then I got leading goal scorer, team of the year. And then, yeah. That time in COVID and you went home, uh, your parents have obviously had a big influence in your life. Yeah. Your dad's saying to go and then you go and yeah. he doesn't want you to go. Your yeah. mom telling you not to go. What were they like in that time? Were they sort of saying to you, look, go and embrace it now? No, I or think... Or were they worried about you and wanting to have you home? Yeah, because of how I would cry sometimes... And I would call them and I was like, I want to come home. I don't like it here. I would just be on the football field and I'm just crying. And if you can say, Bonnie, what's wrong? I cannot tell you. I'm just emotionally, I was just dead. And yeah, it was just like COVID came and I was just like, okay, I can go home. That was, that was the first thing in my mind. I didn't know how serious it was. I didn't know what it was. I just know that the court said we could get to our destination. I was like, Jamaica's far, but I'm going to get there. And so I just packed my stuff up and just went on my journey. I remember this was 7 p.m. in the night and 6 a.m. I was yeah. out oh. and I got home. And when I got out of the airport, I just, felt, I just felt a sense of relief. Like, you know, like I felt like a, a bag of cement was on my back. And when I got home, I just felt free, clear. Because remember, I was doing all that without seeing anyone when i was in america 
I had family in America. I could fly to New York or, but in France, I don't know the language. When I was going, when I would go to supermarket, I would have the, you know, the Google translate on your phone. So I'm walking around in the supermarket, trying to use the camera to see if what if this is, what that is. So it was just a whole journey. But you know what I said? Like that made me stronger as a person. Because, and that yeah. made me, me better. And it made me who I am today because sometimes you need them difficult moments, you know, to help you to get to where you want to get to. So yeah, yeah. I wouldn't trade it. I was going to ask like that something like that does it now you look going to look back on it with hindsight you, that perspective just being able to take a step back see your family again speak to them talk things through yeah. it sounds like it was really really important for you to then go on to achieve what you have definitely already. definitely i think because sometimes you don't know how much support you how far you can go with the right support and i at the time i didn't really understand that until i went home and I went home and again, chill, nothing crazy. Just went to the river, went to the beach, relax, eat my jerk chicken and <laughs> you know, and stuff like that. And that just brought me back to who I am, who I was, because I would doubt myself. I would have no confidence. And yeah, when I went back, the coach was like, oh, you're a night and day person from who you were last season. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in my mind, I'm like, okay, I got to do this because I, you know, but then Initially, I thought that it was Bordeaux because I didn't know anywhere else. But then when I came here and Alex, I played against Alex and Lucy. And so when I came here, I was asking them and they're like, no, it was it was difficult for them as well. So I was like, oh, maybe that's why I was like, maybe it's a culture because right. I thought in my head, I was like, oh, maybe it's Bordeaux. But I guess it was just a culture. But yeah. What were your memories of, you mentioned Alex Greenwood and Lucy Bronze there. I think that's when they were at Leon. Mm -hmm. What were your memories of facing them at the time? And then I imagine... When you then came to City and they were there, it must have been quite a nice conversation to have after. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I remember. I remember we played them four times, I think, because obviously COVID. We were supposed to play them the February, yeah, towards the the end of February, March, but then COVID COVID came, so that season ended up scrapping, and we had to to start over. But yeah, I remember, you know, vividly. Nothing like okay, that's Alex, that's Lucy, but I just knew who they were because, you know, analysis before games, they would say, these are the players. Um, but yeah, I just remember playing against them and, you know, wonderful players, exceptional players. And then moving to City, obviously, really happy you're here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you, you first, <laughs> Sorry, John, just going back, I think, because your goal-scoring record as a whole is it's ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, it's a joke. But saying the problems you had at Bordeaux, your goal-scoring record was phenomenal there as well. So to be able to manage what everything you've just went through and then but still gone the, the pitching. You know, my first season in Bordeaux was the second year of me playing a striker because from freshman to junior I was a midfielder. But um my as I was going into my senior year, the the player that was playing striker, she got a professional contract, so we didn't have a striker. So when I went when in the su the summer of my senior year, my coach was like, Okay, we think you need to play closer to the goal. And I was like, attacking midfield, I'm already there. And he was like, no, forward. I'm like, I've never played there before. I don't I don't think I'm the one for the job, you know? <laughs> and then he was like, don't worry about it. We'll we'll work on it. And every day before training and after training, we'll do finishing, finishing, finishing. In my sleep, I would think about finishing. That's how, that's how much we would work on it. So that was my second year wow. playing that position in Bordeaux. And then... As the years go on, 
that's incredible. You just assume, given obviously the caliber of how you play, that you played there your entire life. It was no. so new to you. No. That's ridiculous. I can't, I can't get over that. <laughs> was it similar for you, Paul? No, well, I played a striker all my career. And yeah. For 25 years, 30 years, and I still not scored as many as what Bunny did. So that <laughs> makes it even more ridiculous. Brilliant. But it is, it's repetition. It's yeah. uh, It's practice. It's training ground. It's hitting the back of the net. And, you know, I was very lucky as a youngster coming through at Arsenal, Adine Wright, mm. who was in the first team, who was, for me, the best in, in, in my time. Um, and the one thing I always took with me, like I was 16, I was 18, I was a young boy at Arsenal, struggling, like you said, leaving home. Yeah. But seeing Ian Wright, who was scoring 30 goals a season, European Golden Boot, England's number nine, every single day, after training, on his own, finishing. Um, and to get to the best and to improve all the time, you have to. And I'm a massive believer, especially for a striker, it's, it's, yeah. it can be born sometimes, but it's never born hitting the back of the net, but it's repetition yeah. and being out in the pitch and doing it. Wow. Was there anyone from your career when you moved up to a striker that you maybe had a similar thing with that, that Paul had with Ian Wright? So when I I remember when I started um, playing the position, I would watch Zlatan Ibrovic a lot of times because he similar body built. And, you know, I think for me, I could say Aguero, but I think we're different in yeah. terms of type. So I would always watch Zlatan at the time and I would always... I would always come in the training and I was like, coach, did you see the the high kick? Because, you know, he, he is flexible. He was a freak. Acrobatic, yeah. Yeah, so um, Zlatan was the one that when I just started watching. And then as I went on, I started watching Luis Suarez. Yeah, what a player he was as well. Um, moving on to your time at City, that first season, when I've had the chance to speak to you before, you, you've talked about being happy enough with that first season, but then in that summer leading into last season, yeah talking about things you wanted to work on, but you still got 19 goals in that first season. It kind of reiterates the point that you were making, Paul, but how did you find that first year at City? Was it a, a difficult adaptation? Obviously, maybe on the level of Bordeaux, but yeah. still. I think the style of play was similar, but different because in Bordeaux, my coaches were Spanish, so we always keep the ball, keep the ball, keep the ball. Um, but, you know, the leagues are different and... I remember preseason we came in and it was just tactical, tactical, tactical. And I, I remember I called Raheem and I was like, I don't, I don't think I can, I can do this, you know. And he gave me an, um, an example of when he left Liverpool and came to City. He, if his thing was similar, but he always told me like, trust yourself, trust your ability. It will come. It will eventually come. And then, you know, I didn't know what to expect with the league. And the, I lacked confidence because of that, because I was, I feel like going into something you're not used to or is different, you're a bit skeptical and you're like, should I try this or, you know, so I think I hold back uh, from myself a lot my first year because I just didn't know what to expect. I just wanted to keep it simple and, and stuff like that. But then the season ended and I called Raheem and you know, we spoke and he was like, look how many goals you scored. Like, yes, it was difficult for you, but you still managed to score all those goals. You have to focus on, on that and keep working on it and look back at what you could have improved on and what you could have gotten better on. I mean, getting an advice from Raheem at the time meant the world to me. So, you know, I, I took the summer and I went back and I watched some of the videos and I said, OK, I could have made that run. I could have made that pass. I could have done that. And then... Coming into last year's preseason, that's what I told myself. Okay, I'm gonna focus on these stuff, and 
you know, I'm going to see if I can get them to the tee and then see where we could go from there. So, yeah. How significant did it feel having with Raheem Sterling, someone else from a from a Caribbean background, sort of maybe that that understanding of, of that upbringing and so on? Was that quite important, just having yeah, him around in a way? It was great, you know, because initially when I spoke to him the first time, I was telling him that, like, I'm not going to... Because I was, I was nervous at first. Mm. I remember when I got the video, I was like, oh, my God, you know? But then when I spoke to him, I was like, He's like, you can call me anytime. If I miss the call, I can get back to you. Text me. Don't be afraid. You know, I'm here for you and stuff like that. But at the time, you know, sometimes when people say that, you're still like, you don't want to, you, you know, it? put yeah. pressure on them and stuff like that. But, you know, he gave me that confidence and he was comfortable enough to, you know, listen to me and help me. And, you know, whenever I would have bad days, I would call him and I would be like, this is what I'm going through. And then whenever I have good days, we would laugh about it and, and stuff like that. But I think having him around, knowing that, you know, he knows the culture of back home really well, having him around, having him encourage me, always picking up the phone when he can. And if not, he would call me right back and stuff like that. I think just gave me that confidence to know that, OK, I don't have the full support of my family back home, but I have someone within the club that could, you know, help me and stuff and stuff like that. So yeah, we've talked as well. Paul and I were talking off camera. Another person who's had quite a heavy influence on your career in the last few months, anyway, who's also from from the Caribbean, Sean Gota. Um, Paul, we were actually talking off camera, saying if, I was asking if there was a striker that reminded you of how Bunny plays and and Sean. Sean was the ideal up. one. He yeah. was the ideal one. His movement strong. Was a little bit raw to begin with when he came to the club, but boy, did he work! It you know, my first year, funny enough, I would walk around and I would see him, and he was like, "Let's catch up, let's catch up." But we never got the opportunity to catch. My first year when I came in, he would be like, "Let's catch up," because he would watch some of the games, and I'm like, "Who is this guy?" Like, I always see him around, and we never get the opportunity to catch up. He's like, "Oh, let's catch up, or let's catch up," but we never catch up, <laughs> and then. My last year, my second year, you know, he came around more often and then guys introduced me to him and then, you know, we'd sit down, we'd watch videos and stuff like that. So, yeah. His knowledge is fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, and I think, you know, we would, he's so funny because we'd joke around the Caribbean, you know, his accent and my accent and he would try to make it out. So he was, it's, he's such an, oh, I love Sean, I yeah, swear. I do. Is. And, but, but people look at Seanian because he's smiling all the time yeah, and he's joking. Yeah. He knows his stuff, you know, when I was managing um, Sean used to come in and take the coaches, uh, take the strikers from me sometimes, yeah. and it was fantastic. And the, the knowledge that he's got to pass on um, is is invaluable. But um, I think sitting when you sit and watch a game with the goal, yeah. you really get the value of him when he's talking about what's happening within it and the movement, where to move, what runs to make. Can you do this a little bit better? Um, and not just for you, I think yeah. for I think for all the strikers at the club. I think with Sean, he came more often towards the end of last year, but even in the beginning, he would tell me little stuff, like little pointers that would go a far away because sometimes the little detail can go a far away. For example, towards um, the beginning of last year, he would tell me little stuff like, try to not let the center back see you on the ball and stuff like that. So I would take that and I would try it on the training pitch at first. Yeah. And then sometimes I would do it in games and then after games, I would be like, did you see that, you know? And so I think, in the beginning, it was like that, but then when I heard that he was coming around more often, I was I was I was excited because now you could actually come on the pitch yeah. and we could actually work together more often and stuff like that. But yeah, Sean's great for sure. Fantastic. Well, Bunny, we could speak to you all day if we had the chance. Unfortunately, we're running out of time, but we've just got a few questions that we ask all of our guests at the end of of a podcast. Okay. So 
first one um if there was anything you could change in football what would it be and this isn't just like a a tactical rule or anything like that it could be something a lot more broad like Rico Lewis at social media yeah I would example. say I would say that as well because I think when when for example I would talk to Sean he would give me an example like when he used to play social media wasn't as big as it is now I think sometimes people on the outside don't see you know what we do inside mm. of the pitch but they only see when we go out there and perform but there's a lot that goes on before we actually go out on the pitch Absolutely. but you know I think if I could change one thing I would definitely say limited social media brilliant great answer um the next question we've put the, obviously let people know that you're coming on the podcast everyone was very excited we've picked out a question that really jumped out to us um might be a difficult one because you've obviously played with and against a lot of very good players and you've mentioned Ronaldinho, Ibrahimovic, mm. Suarez. But if you could complete your dream five-a-side team, men's players, women's players, past or present, are there four players that you'd have alongside you? This is a tough one, you know. Okay. Uh, I would say centre-back Puyol. Oh, yeah. Um, I would say... Xavi and Iniesta for sure have to be in there. Um, Especially with Puyol at the back. Yeah. Um, two more. You can back yourself as well if you want. Okay, I put myself in there. You've got to put yourself in there. I was going to say, you'd be in mine. Four, one more. Oof. I need another centre back, huh? Or another defender. Mm. I would say, you know, I like Kyle Walker. Mm. I'll put Kyle in there. You can bomb up and down, can't yeah, he? Yeah. That's a really good answer. That not one. bad, that. Yeah, I know. It's not about five a side team at all. <laughs> and absolutely, finally, as you can see, this bowl's just been the elephant in the room so far. It's just been sat there. But um, this is a collection of questions from the social media, from okay. our fans, and also from previous podcast guests. Okay. So if you just dip in, pick one out, let us know what the question is, and then uh, if you can answer as well, that'd be ace. <laughs> What's your funniest locker room story? I don't really have a I don't really have a funniest locker room story. I just think with my national team it's something that we always do. We always like dance around before we go into games. I know it's weird but that's just how we are. We always dance around before we go into every game. So I wouldn't say it's the funniest but it it's something that we enjoy. The banter's always flowing, yeah. there's not there's not a specific one. I like yeah. that. Good okay. answer. And just finally, Bunny, thank you again for, for your time today. Really appreciate it. We always ask our guests to leave a question for the next guest who's coming on. Okay. So uh, have you got one that you can you can think of off the top of your head? Yeah, okay. If you had to choose one island in the Caribbean that you'd want to visit, where would it be? Nice. It's a good one, though. Very you good. never know, do you? Don't know if it's Jamaica. <laughs> That's brilliant. Well, Bunny, thanks again for your time. Really, okay. really appreciate it. And uh, all the best for the rest of the season. Thank you. Paul, that was brilliant, uh, Bunny Shore. I think the highlight was me, thankfully, not breaking her hand after shaking it, even though it had a cast on. So there you go. But um, what, did you enjoy it? See, that's vision, that is. You've got to... <laughs> got to use your vision to see it um look i thought bunny was amazing fantastic you know really um gave us a great insight to to our grow, growing up in jamaica mm. um you know, really interesting about how um my mum wouldn't let her play football 
Um, and then obviously how relaxed she was, even when she was in, um, she was at college in the States, you know, obviously it was her studies, her studies, and yeah. she was just enjoying her football. And then before you know it, you know, she's moving over to um, Bordeaux. So great insight to, to what she's like um, or what she was like coming through and how she started her career. But especially fantastic to see how determined she is to, to continue that and to keep improving. Yeah, I couldn't believe that. She was basically like, yeah, I, I mean, I was all right at football, but I was thinking about my communications mm -hmm. degree. I, I couldn't believe that she, it had to switch that quick and she's been so successful. And, and also that she had never played as a striker before yeah. until her last season before she actually went to Bordeaux, you know, and it just shows you what a natural finisher she is, you know, because it's difficult, that transition from a midfielder to then into a, a forward player. Um, but to make that transition so quickly and then jump to the level to Bordeaux and then come here. It just shows you what a special talent that she is. Yeah, amazing. Well, I really enjoyed it. Paul, thanks again Thank for, you. for coming on and I uh, hope you all enjoyed it as well. Um, as always, listen, wherever you get, listen on your streaming platforms with, uh, with these podcasts, let us know how you feel. Give us a like, give us a comment and uh, see you for the next one. The unbeatable official Manchester City podcast. Watch the full video version of this show via City Plus now.